Hello, and welcome to the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and here today with Rick Kelly. He's founder and president of R.C. Kelly Law Associates, and you know him as NSTA Counsel. So, Rick, got an interesting episode of NSTA, the bus stop here, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for the uh, invitation. Always uh, happy to talk shop with uh, with you guys. All right, excellent. So the latest issue that's come onto the uh, NSTA landscape is a recently proposed rule by the Federal Trade Commission, which you know largely is an area where we don't dip our toe in that water too often. But it's a a non compete. Um, preclusion um, in the in the form of an FTC rulemaking. So can you give our listeners a brief update of this proposal? Yeah, I can. And uh, you're right. Uh, we don't really see a lot in the school bus world uh, with uh, regulations coming out of the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, part of that is kind of the, the genesis of the commission itself. It was started back in, gosh, the early 1900s in response to railroad companies and oil company monopolies. Uh, And the idea back then was the protection of consumers from uh, monopolies, uh, fraud, deceptive practices, that kind of stuff. So how this kind of got to us or got to the current state is that uh, the FTC uh, contends that non-compete clauses that are out there suppress worker mobility. They they say that they negatively affect competition in products and service markets. And while it's not directly related to us, there is enough crossover that uh, contractors should be aware and, and they may have some effects they, they, they need to deal with. Yeah, that's for sure. And I guess more specifically, Rich, people will want to know, you know, how would a non-compete ban like this affect, you know, school bus contractors around the country? And that's actually a a real good question uh, because they're they're not historically real common, but, you know, increasingly the the competition for highly skilled labor today is more intense than ever, Uh, not just drivers, but all positions. You know, this is kind of increase the give and take between employees and employers uh, when they're negotiating. Now, if you're looking for a you know, highly skilled mechanic, lead mechanic, or even a school bus operations manager, you know, contractors are often currently willing to offer enhanced compensation for critical positions like that. Uh, but they're also increasingly looking for some assurance that there's going to be you know, continuity in that position or assurance that they don't spend a lot of time giving specialized training and and things like that, experience and uh, whatnot to the employees, uh, they don't want to lose that. They don't want to lose it uh, just generally, and they don't want it to go to, uh, say, a competing company where it's used against them. Uh, so the, the proposed new rule would uh, invalidate future non-competes. Uh, it proposes to invalidate past non-competes, and it would require uh, rescission of notice to any employees that are affected. So, you know, if you have hired a, a lead mechanic and you, you know, made an agreement with them that, yes, I'll pay you X, but, you know, I, I don't want this, uh, you know, specialized training to be used against me after you decide to leave uh, or, you know, things of that sort. Uh, so 
it is something that is going to be uh, affecting certain contractors in, in certain situations. Yeah, absolutely. And when we think of this topic in general, um, <clears throat> you know, because here we're, we're dealing with the proposed regulation, but a lot of this is covered under um, statute and case law, I would suppose. What generally would make a non-compete agreement enforceable or not? Yeah, you're you're right. There is uh, some existing law, both legislative, common law, and some some regulatory at the state level. Uh, in all, there are about nine or ten states that have legislatively eliminated or or severely restricted the use of non-competes. Uh, but nearly every state has some common law that requires that non-competes are reasonable in scope and in duration. Uh, a lot of times they'll look at, uh, say, the number of months past uh, leaving an employer that uh, an employee may be restricted. And, uh, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, a lot of courts have said a restriction of that length is okay. Uh, but I've often seen non-competes that uh, would look to have a, a five-year duration, and courts have generally said that something like that is too long. Uh, geography also matters. You know, generally courts are willing to enforce non-competes where the geography matches the area serviced. You know, if you operated in two or three counties, uh, a court would be willing often to say, okay, a restriction in two or three counties makes sense, but a restriction, say, in the entire state is uh, would probably be considered overbroad. Um, and also limitation to the type of work. You know, school bus operations is pretty specific. Uh, and if a non-compete is so broad that it would prevent them from, say, working for a motor coach operation in the same town or working for a trucking operation in the same town, that overbreath, the overbroadness is the sort of thing where courts would draw the line at. Um, you know, in, in this situation, that's the kind of stuff that courts are going to look at in those states where they don't already have legislation that may ban them completely or limit them very severely. Yeah, and that's that's incredibly interesting. Um, one thing with respect to to this rulemaking through the FTC is, you know, from an NSEA standpoint, we wondered if FTC actually had jurisdiction in this area. You have any thoughts on that? You know, it's uh, interesting that you say that because when you read the commentary for the many, many, many people that have comments on it, a lot are saying exactly that. They're saying, well, okay. This realistically is an overreach by the FTC. While you may have the authority and, and the original charter to you know, look at things like um, interstate monopolies and, and things of that sort, a lot of these companies are operating you know, very, very locally. They're not crossing state lines. Mm -hmm. uh, in some cases, they're not crossing county lines. And uh, it, it is hard to say uh, that that the FTC, a federal uh, agency, would even have jurisdiction. It would really be a state issue. And like I said, there are many states that have enacted their own either legislation, regulation, or even common law to address these issues. So I would suspect that even if uh, this rule was to be published in its current form, I think there are a lot of uh, organizations or companies that uh, may step in and, and file legislation claiming that it's an overreach and that it may be unconstitutional as written. Yeah, I think there's a lot uh, that you say there to <laughs> be supported by the um, over 25,000 comments 
that were submitted to the DACO proposal um, to the FCC. FTC. Now, in, in a similar manner, the National Labor Relations Board <clears throat> had a ruling on non-disparagement and confidentiality clauses. Something, uh, well, not the same, but very similar. Can you give us some background on that ruling? I can, and, and you're right. They're they're not the same, but they're very often kind of parallel issues that uh, employers deal with. Uh, the National Labor Relations Board made an administrative adjudication uh, just back in February of 2023. Uh, the matter was called McLaren McComb. And what they did was they, they held that the confidentiality and non-disparagement clause in a severance agreement, uh, they felt, was an unfair limitation on the employee's right to discuss working conditions, to organize a union, uh, to strike, to file claims of unfair uh, labor practices. Uh, it, it was really a significant reversal from how things had been done previously. Hmm. That's uh, that's interesting. And and was there a rationale behind the board's decision to prohibit these things? You know, I think that it was really a reflection of the current very labor friendly administration. Um, you know, the 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 tenure or the 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 reaction, we'll say, of federal agencies really does reflect at all times the administration that's in place. And you know, it's no secret that the current administration uh, feels strongly uh, about uh, labor and labor unions, and and their decisions seem to really kind of reflect that. You know, there are levels of restrictions on employees, whether it's confidentiality, uh, non-solicitation, non-competition, uh, and there are restrictions that are often uh, uh, agreed to between employees and employers when they settle their disputes. Uh, so, you know, realistically, I think that reflects the uh, the current time, and, uh, you know, that, that's something that employers need to be aware of. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, you know, as we uh, as contractors look to approach, you know, these issues, including, you know, uh, severance agreements and, you know, all these other, you know, contracts and clauses that, um, you know, we've discussed previously, what are the main things that, you know, folks should take into consideration? And I, my one takeaway from our discussion alone is, you know, it, it, that that we start from a place where uh, of common sense, I, I guess, is the way I would approach it. Yeah, I think that's actually good advice, and that's a good starting point. You know, I I have seen uh, situations where um, employers, you know, they they endeavor to use these kinds of restrictions, you know, and sometimes they they get a little, uh, I'll say, aggressive in in the restrictions that they want to impose in a situation. I think if they start from a place of kind of understanding that there is some give and take here and some fairness is the the best way to proceed, you know, they should proceed with caution. Uh, you know, that should be the guiding rule. Uh, you know, employee-employer disputes can still be resolved with severance agreements uh, that offer payments in exchange for releases and forbearance, you know, but the words of those agreements are critically important. You know, it may be that they've they've gone down this path in years past, uh, but the way they go down and what those words should say uh, are are really something that needs to be updated. And they should engage counsel for guidance when they're faced with these kinds of issues and understand that they they can still proceed with these sorts of tools and agreements, um, but they've got to use language that, that reflects the current state of the law and what the law is likely going to be. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, what's rolling around in my head is the fact that, you know, folks can't, this is an ever-evolving, right, area, and folks can't just dust off, uh, say, a severance agreement from, you know, three or four years ago, dust it off and think that it it completely still applies today, um, and there's a could be a danger in doing that. Yeah, you know, and and that's kind of a common thing that I see. A lot of times, you know, employers, when they're looking to either do a release or maybe even do something as simple as an employee handbook, you know, they may go online and they might find uh, something that looks like it may apply. Uh, but very often, they're using something that's not quite a fit for their organization. So they may end up with clauses and things that not only are perhaps not enforceable, but that may actually hurt them in some situations. And like I said, I think that taking the time to really work with someone that's familiar with their industry and uh, familiar with these laws is, uh, you know, more than ever, real, real important. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, Rich, if folks want to, um, you know, find out more about, you know, our topic for discussion today, um, where can they reach you? Um, yeah, we're pretty easy to find. You know, we're at uh, nearly all of the NSTA events. Uh, we've we've got a handful of attorneys here that attend, uh, and you can also find us on the web very easily at uh, www.rckelly.com. Uh, we've got a legal focus focus article that comes out in uh, each of the uh, newsletters. So uh, I know that we've written recently about these topics, and uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that you can find in future editions as well. Well, once again, our guest at NSCA, the bus stop, it's Rich Kelly. He's founder and president of R.C. Kelly Law Associates. You also know him as NSCA counsel. Hey, Rich, thanks for taking a few moments, giving us some insight on these uh, Federal Trade Commission proposals, as well as the landscape for, you know, some of these agreements that the contractors are involved in. Yeah, again, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to talk shop and uh, talk about school bus operations and uh, I look forward to doing so in the future.